Today, uh, I, 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 was, I'm, I can't miss an opportunity here. Uh, from time to time, you, there's people that are, are with you. There, I, I'm convinced that uh, heaven, when we get to heaven, I think the greatest preachers uh, are people we've never heard their name. They're men serving in little churches in you know, Uganda and little churches in Kansas and places in Canada and all over the world. I can't wait to find out, you know, who really were the greatest ones. I think we've never known their names. Um, and I think there's people that impact the kingdom of God in ways that you just never know. And one of them is here today, and his name's Hollis Johnson. Uh, he showed up today, and he's like, I cannot believe you are calling me out in this place. This is awful. I would never have come and showed up. But Hollis, stand up for a minute, big boy. Um, this is Hollis Johnson. He's 142. And, and, um, and uh, uh, let, 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 me, let me tell you um, what Hollis, Hollis is one of the, my dearest friends. He uh, was the president of the Southern Baptist Foundation. Let me tell you what that means. There's an old cliche in business that says, um, you know, a million dollars here, a million dollars there, pretty soon you're talking about real money. Um, when really wealthy people would, would, would pass on or they would want to leave their entire estate or leave large sums of money to kingdom work, they would go to people like Hollis Johnson to just help them understand where to invest it. So seminaries and Christian universities and endowments, large sums of advisement money and invest it for you. He was the air traffic controller for so much kingdom money for well over 20 years, maybe 30 years or more. How many years were you at the SBF, Hollis? 27 years. And so what you don't know is that from a kingdom perspective, he's a legend. Uh, and you would never have known his name, but I wanted you to meet him. Let's tell Hollis we love him this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Hollis, for all you've done. His wife, Celeste, uh, was the, the chairman of the search team that, that, that uh, brought me to Belmont. And uh, one of the absolute coolest Funerals. John Garner and I, when Celeste went to heaven, um, we laughed more at that place that day. Celeste painted a picture of uh, one of my Labradors. It's about that wide and about that tall, and it's on a canvas, and it hangs in the lodge to this day, and it's beautiful, and I look at it all the time and think of Cease, so uh, that's great. I'm going to cry. should not have gone down that road about dogs and <laughs> Celeste. Yeah, dadgummit. Oh, well. You know, she's still getting me even though she's in heaven, and she would have enjoyed that uh, for sure. Celeste was beautiful. I'm talking about straight beautiful. She aged, I mean, un, like never aged. Unbelievable. Enough about Hollis. I'm here to preach. All right. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it tells us. We thank you for what it does for us. As we read the word, it reads us. And today, as we read it, we are not here to just interpret it. It's going to interpret us. It's, your, your word even says that it's sharper than a two-edged sword, that it, that it divides, that it goes through the marrow and the joints, and, and it interprets who we are. And so I pray that it would, the power, through the power of your spirit today, that would happen, God. 
And for those that need encouraging from the word, they'd be encouraged. From those that need to be healed today from the word, they'd be healed. And for those that need to repent today, they would repent. We ask that you meet us in our minds right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been going through this series on Christmas in his name. And I want to put a name in front of you this morning. And as you think about this name, I, I, want, I want you to be honest with yourself. When I say the word, or when you say the words in your mind, when you say the words, my dad, what emotions come up? When you think of my dad, your dad, when you think of my father, what emotions come up? I, I think there's few words in the English language that can trigger emotions like the word father. It can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. So there's a phrase in here when Isaiah's prophesying about who Jesus is going to be. He uses this phrase. So let's read it together. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. is where we've been the last few weeks. And it says in Isaiah 9, it's, he's a prophet in the Old Testament. You kind of start in the middle, go to the left, and you'll hit Isaiah there. Uh, right just after the book of Proverbs, if you find Proverbs, go to the right and you'll find Isaiah. And here it says, verse 1 of chapter 9, But there will be no more gloom for her, Israel, who was in anguish. In earlier times he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on he will make it glorious. And by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Gal the Galilee of the, Galilee of the Gentiles. And now he's prophesying about Jesus. And so this is what he says, Isaiah the prophet. He says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil, you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle of tum the battle of tumult, the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders." And his name will be called, here we go, ready, wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So what is he saying when he talks about God, about Jesus actually being the eternal father? So let me, let me make sure you understand something because it's, it's really easy to miss this connection if you're not careful when you're reading it. You're con you'll connect when he talks about eternal father, your mind, you know, we've been, if you've been around the, the Christian life much at all, your mind immediately goes to God the father. That's not who Isaiah will be talking about right now because you see, Isaiah wouldn't have prophesied about the Trinity. This isn't about the Godhead. 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's not in Isaiah's thinking at all here. What he's talking about, remember, remember what I told you from the very beginning as we're starting to study the names of the, who Jesus is called right here, right? Remember what I told you, that names are windows providing sight lines into the nature of the person, right? So if you're taking notes, write that down. I wrote it down for you just so you would see it. Names are windows providing sight lines into the nature of the person. You see, in the Bible, names carried way more weight than they do today. A name, a name told a story. Man, if you go and read Hosea and, and look at how, and, and, and Amos and others, but they will name children and, and you'll find, wow, those names carried stories with them because and, 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 they were an oral culture. Well, Isaiah here is giving names of Jesus. So this is not about God being your father. This is about Jesus and his character as it is revealed in that of a father. So, so if if we're talking about Jesus having the characteristics of a father, what is that? Because he's not talking about God the Father. So what is he actually getting at right here? So when we, so why, and, and the bigger question is, why would this have mattered to them? Why would this have mattered to the Hebrew? Why would this have mattered so much so? Of all the names that Isaiah could have used to pick out who Jesus is going to be and what he's going to be and how he's going to be, of all the names, why eternal father? Why? Well, I think there's a couple of key truths there. Number one, I would say that it, it, it get, lets us know that Jesus is going to provide un, what I would say unending togetherness. Jesus is going to provide un, unending togetherness, right? He, his quality is that he is an eternal father, meaning that with Jesus, there is no such thing as unfathering. There's no such thing as Breaking the covenant commitment, many of you, many, many of you, in fact, probably the vast majority of you by, by statistic, I, I don't know of anybody that divorce hasn't touched their family on some level. Either you've been through it yourself, your kids have been through it, you lived through it when you were a kid. And as, as awful as that can be and as heartbreaking as it can be and as much as, as it can hurt, the thing about Jesus is he doesn't unfather. So this would have meant a lot to someone in a broken, sin-driven world. You see, in our world today, this is why it's so important we understand Jesus' eternal nature. Because in our world, we live in a broken world. And in a broken world, things get broke. In a broken world, things get broke. Somebody asked me one time, years ago, a question I'd never been asked in all my years of ministry. They said, hey, Jason, of all the things that you see in ministry life, what gets to you the most? Like, what gets to you personally the most? And it's funny, I'd never been asked that question. But what was even, what was even more ironic is that I had an answer. And the answer was immediate. I said, divorce. They said, what? I said, divorce. I said, I said, they said why? I said, yeah, you would think I would think sexual assault or a tragedy or some kid or somebody dying way early or, or war or you would think it would be murder or something that, I said, divorce. I said, let me tell you why. 
Have you ever seen, I remember telling this to this person, so have you ever seen a tree laid over from strong winds? I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about tornadoes. If you look at tornadoes, tornadoes uh, affect trees differently. Typically when a tornado goes over an area, a tornado will snap trees off at the top because the, the rotation, it just snaps and just breaks things. But if you look at hurricanes... As a general rule, not 100%, but as a general rule, when hurricanes come through, the force is constant, and it's from one direction. It's not going all over the place. So hurricanes tend to lay things over. And if you've ever seen a tree laid over from the root ball, I'm always blown away by something. Even a 10-inch tree has a root system that is impressive. And there's a hole in the ground with debris everywhere. That's divorce. Because when you pull up roots from people's lives and covenant commitments, the pain, is, the pain goes on for generations. And the thing about Jesus is that he's not leaving. He's not leaving. And that should make you feel good. That should let you know that no matter what you may have seen or gone through, he provides unending togetherness. And it points back to something Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. He said it in John 14. Look at what he said. You've heard me reference this verse many times in many different ways. In the Holy Spirit, he said, Jesus is talking about what, what he's going to do in spirit form. He said, but you, you do know him. And because he lives with you and now later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. That's a promise, friends. That's a promise from God. No matter what you've seen in this earthly world, Jesus will never abandon you. I will not leave you as orphans. So the idea of him being an eternal father means that he has unending, unending togetherness. And then I would also say, why would a father matter? Why would Jesus, by character, be an eternal father? I would say it's because it, it, Jesus provides what I would say provision by protection. A lot of, a lot of P's in there. Jesus provides provision by protection. He's a protector. Let me ask you something. Did your earthly dad ever disappoint you? Oh, mine did. I mean, big time. And if you're watching that, and you probably are, you need to know. Like, it was awful. There was, I'm thinking of one particular way that my dad completely disappointed me. Okay? Let me show you a picture. Here's why. Okay? Right there. All right? <laughs> Let me show you why. My dad utterly failed me. All right? So my dad owned a store before he was a golf pro. We owned a little outdoor store, and, and uh, it was the best place in the world to grow up, man. My dad uh, made me work, and looking back on that, I'm so thankful. And, and so, but right about, 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 if you walked out of our store and, and you walked down, there was a bowling alley, and then uh, past the bowling alley was a car dealership, and then past the car dealership was uh, a motorcycle place. And he was really good friends with my dad. So I would walk down there, and he had all these motorcycles. And that is the Suzuki RM80. The, 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 and that actually is the 1980 model right there. And I would go in there every day, and I would look at this thing. And I would put my hands on it, and it had the perfect smell of gasoline and steel. It was like this thing was a seductress, man, and I wanted it so bad. 
And I would, I would talk to Mr. Wells about, you know, how can, how can you talk to my dad? Y'all are friends. And I would do all these things. And he was like, no, son, I ain't talking to your daddy about that. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm telling you right now, I began every sales pitch known to the human race on why I should have this. And it wasn't one and done, you know. It wasn't one and done. Like I, I, I attempted this from the time I was nine to the time I was 13 for four years. I, now, my dad, my dad uh, was usually pretty patient, but there was a stopping point, right? But his patience with this conversation just never ended. He would entertain the conversation all the time. And I would try new angles, and I would wait. I would calculate for months, and I'd back off, thinking, if you let it sit on him a while, maybe he'll change his mind, right? No, no, it never. And I would keep coming at new angles and new reasons and sales and discounts because I, I was wanting this thing. I mean, the obsession that I had, I knew my life would instantly get better if I had this thing. And so finally, about the age of 13, my dad one day just said to me, son, you can ask me for this for as long as you live. And the answer will always be no. And I was like, man, the finality of that. Just, and I kept trying, even after that. And the answer was always no. So my dad utterly ruined my life uh, in 1980 because of this. And I, I will say, looking back on it, some of you might own motorcycles. But to this day, my sons have asked for motorcycles. And you know what I tell them? What my daddy told them. Son, that's a coffin on wheels. <laughs> now, you may own motorcycles, and I think motorcycles are great once you're old enough to drive one. But at the age of nine, my dad, praise God, had enough presence of mind that he is nowhere near ready to hop on an RM80 that would do like 124 miles an hour, knowing that's what I was going to do with it, Right? See, my dad gave me what I needed, not what I wanted. And to all of you parents out there, and I'm a parent, and I can tell you right now, though, the greatest thing you can do for your children is that the tail doesn't wag the dog. The tail doesn't wag the dog. My daddy's goal, I didn't learn this till later in life, but my daddy's goal was never to be my best friend. Never. My daddy's goal was to raise a man. And he knew he had to give me what I needed and not what I wanted. Now, why would I bring this up? Because I can tell you that one of the things that, that my dad did for me, and he, he did it my whole life, there was never a time, there was never a time that I was ever afraid of another human being if my daddy was around. Never once. I was never afraid of any man. I was never afraid of any situation. I, I had no fear of any person or any context when my daddy was around. Because I knew that in order for, me to, in order for anybody to get to me, they were going to have to go through my daddy. And, well, that was not going to be an easy task. You see, for Jesus to tell the Hebrew people, I'm going to be the eternal father and protect you. That would have mattered. Let me tell you why it would have mattered. It would have mattered to a Jew. And the reason it would have mattered to, a, to the Hebrew people is because 
they were, a, they, they were the runt of the litter. They were the runt of the litter. See, you, when we read the Bible, we have the end of the story, right? You can't ever forget that. Because it'll change the way you read the Bible. When you read the Bible, you read it at the end. You know how it turns out. They didn't. They didn't know how it was going to end. So here's what was happening with Israel. They were the runt of the litter. You ever seen the runt of the litter? If you've ever given, if you've ever had puppies or kittens or anything like that, you know what you have to do. You got to watch out for the weak one because the other ones will take all its food and it'll die. Right? There was one time we had two labs. The male would always eat faster than the female so he could eat her food too. I was like, what a jerk. So we began to put him in the, we would let her eat and she would eat so slow right in front of him while he was watching. Then we had let him out and he was about half mad, you know. So you got to watch out for the run of the litter. See, God was protecting the people because when it came to military armies, Israel was a minnow in an ocean. They were a minnow in an ocean. So now do you see why they wanted a military king? They wanted a general. They, they, wanted, they wanted a Messiah to come in there. It's why the disciples were always asking Jesus, when are you going to set up the kingdom? Code for, when are you killing all the Romans? So he was going to set up this huge kingdom. They had in their mind what they really, 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 really wanted was a field general. And Jesus said, no, what you really, 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 really need is a father. So I'm going to give you what you need, not what you want. And that even translates further into the New Testament because you see the Israel, just like in Israel, they were a vagabond people. They went from prison to exile to wandering in the desert to all these hundreds of years of just nomadic behavior and nomadic territory. And they, they had all this randomness, but they had this one steady. And the one steady was the Father. The Prince of Peace it, it comes all the way into the New Testament. Into the New Testament, what happens? Christians are killed and they're martyred and, and, and the church is hopping from little bands. See, we, we think of church like something like this. No, no, no. They were in little neighborhoods and little hamlets and little villages and under little trees all across the world. And, and so they would, they would hop and they were always being at risk. Uh, the people of God have always been vulnerable to outside agencies. And so Jesus comes and he said, look at the verse again. This would have meant something to, even in the New Testament. But know that you, when, when the Spirit comes, he will be with you and he will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. And that really mattered to them. He was the father. Jesus is the, like a father. He's, he's not going to unfather you and he's always going to be with you. And so I'm, I'm really glad that in the heart of Jesus, he gives me not what I want, but what I need. And what I need is for him to be with me at all times, you know. There's one more I want to give you this morning. Here it is, number three. Jesus provides relational perfection. Now, look, we're taking this out of the context of Isaiah chapter 9, right? We're lifting it out. So what, what would it have meant then for him to be an eternal father, well, what we see is that Jesus, by being with you and in you, you're going to have relational perfection, right? Jesus is the perfect father. Let me tell you something. 
about your earthly dad. When you think of your earthly dad, what do you think of? What images come to mind? Was your dad hard on you? Fathers tend to be that, you know. Even the good ones. In a lot of cases, sons and daughters go to their moms for mercy and they, they go to their dad for the harder things, decisions. But a lot of dads... If you, if you listen by statistic, this, is, this has long been uh, studied in the Christian world, in the world of Christianity. There's been all kinds of studies done on what's called the father wound. Most psychologists say that everybody has one. A father wound. A place where your dad was insufficient. or in, Insufficient, not perfect, and then all the way, in some cases, abusive. And I would say to you that your, your earthly father, in many cases, was doing the best he could. You know, it's hard being a dad. The father wound is real. I'll tell you, I have learned more about how God loves me than I ever have at any other time in my life after we had kids. When we had kids, I, I began to see, in fact, I remember uh, Cole was probably uh, a year old, and uh, somebody asked me, well, after being a dad for a year, what have you learned? And it's funny, I said, I've learned how to worry. I used to never worry. You know, I hear a weird sound of the night, I'm on my feet, I'm going to look around. I, used, I remember when, when our boys were, both of them, when they were real little and laying in their beds and inside a year old, sometimes I'd go in there to make sure they're breathing. No kidding. I'd, lean, I'd put my hand down there, make sure I could, you know, like, they're not moving, you know? And then there was a time I, I left one of them on the changing table at 2 in the morning. Uh, that wasn't, we don't really talk about that too much in our house. I uh, changed the diaper in the middle of the night and went back to bed and woke up like 30 minutes later. Oh, Hey! There was Cole. He's still out. I was like, oh. I didn't tell Michelle about that until he was like 12. <laughs> you know. But I, I began to, I can tell you that when I had kids, it made sense why my mom, even at the age of 40, was, if I had a sinus infection, I've been, are you okay? Why was mom still worried about me at 40? I get it now. And in fact, in our house, I don't tell my mom when I'm sick. Because if I get over it today, she's still asking about it in 2027. <laughs> like, you know, you okay? You doing all right? You know? See, where, let me ask you a question. Where do you think that comes from? Is that born in a vacuum? No, it's not. Our, our ability... To love, if you haven't had kids yet, or, 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 well, think about your nieces and nephews, or your cousins, or even your friends' kids, and how you can, it, it teaches you that, that does not, that's not born in a vacuum, you actually care. So, so for, for Jesus to have, for Jesus to have 
the quality of an eternal father, what it tells me is that he's perfect relationally. So you can let your dad off the hook. No matter how bad or even how good he was. I'm, I'm in the 1% club. I'm in the 1% club because I have a phenomenal dad. Phenomenal dad. I mean, it would be impossible for me to have a better dad than I have. But my dad had to come to the same cross because my daddy couldn't save me. But I'm in the 1% club. Most people, they didn't have that. So you could know that That Jesus provides relational perfection for you. Look at this verse. Jesus was talking to the disciples and he said, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. He is literally saying, I am the mirror reflection of the heart of my Father. Anything you see in me, you see from him. And so for what that would mean is that, that for somebody that never had a dad, Jesus is telling you that in him there is perfection. If you've seen Christ, you've seen the, the perfect father. Jesus isn't heavy on you. Was your dad hard to please? A lot of them are. A lot of men, especially, a lot of men spend their whole lives in careers trying to prove their dad wrong. Or trying to please their dad. I'll never forget. This wasn't in my notes, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it up. I'll never forget. I, I can still see this happening in my mind's eye. Um, back before streaming, we had these things called remote controls. And, and they, you could flip the channels. Our first television had 13 channels, and it was a clicker. You just click, click. Click the channel. You just had to go around to get back to the front, you know. And uh, then, we, then we got a, we got a new remote, and it was like this big, and it required like forty-seven batteries, and we you could you know punch and, and but then as time goes on, we got a, a regular remote, and I'm probably in in high school by this time, and I'm flipping through the channels one day, and and there's this global figure, like he's globally famous. And he's won this humanitarian award. I'm like, oh, what's going on? Big press conference. Huge, big deal. And they call him up, you know, and, and, and they call him up from like over here. And, and he starts walking up to the podium to get this global humanitarian award. And this guy, this guy has got, I mean, he's billionaire. And, and he goes to get this award. And it's almost like he, he forgot he was on global television for a second. Because he gets the award, and before he turns to the crowd, he grabs the award, and he holds it to the sky. And he says, and he starts screaming, screaming, is this enough for you? Are you finally going to be proud now? And he followed it with some expletives. And then almost realizing that he was on global television, he snaps and he goes, 
thank you for this great day. And it's like he blanked out for a moment. I've watched a lot of men live that out. They have degrees and titles in front of their names and on the end of their names and can't please dad. The great thing about Jesus is that if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. And you know what I love about God? He doesn't care how educated you are or if you never finished high school. He doesn't care how much talent you have or you don't have. He doesn't care how much money you make or how much money you don't make. He doesn't care if you're employed or if you're not. You know why he loves you? He made you. That's why he loves you. He created you. And what he, lo- what, what he created, he loves. And so what you see is the, the, the relationship component of Jesus, that if you've seen him, you've seen the Father, and what you see is forever togetherness, and you see protection, and you see relational perfection. And so I think it's fascinating to me that, 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 that this God would love us so much. If you think about the gravity of how much this would have meant then and today, that Jesus is perfect in the relationship level. His burden is light and his yoke is easy. Think about the gravity of that when you think about the violation of sin and what we did. I mean, you guys, has it ever crossed your mind that God made a family out of enemies? I mean, we were his enemies. Because of sin. Look at what Romans 5 said. I talked about this last week. Romans 5 says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? God made a family out of people who were enemies. That is an amazing thing when you think about his name will be called Eternal Father. Eternal Father. What do you think of when you think of the words, his name shall be called eternal father? What do you think of? What do you think of? What images come to mind? You know, it means a lot to us that you would come here today and be a part of who we are. It it really does matter to us more than you might realize. Sometimes I think we underestimate the power we have to influence people. You know, if you would look around your world, you'd be amazed at how many people would receive what you have to say to them. You could be a digital missionary. You don't have to post everything on Facebook, or we're not asking you to go on your favorite social platform, but I would challenge you to look around your world. I guarantee you might have a friend, even in a different state or another part of the world, something was said today, whether a sermon, a prayer, a song, something was said that could mean a lot to them, man, send it to them. You'd be amazed at how much of a difference that could make.